Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. This week, Brandon Williams continues the series entitled The Vision. In this message, Brandon goes through the five reasons we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Many times in our lives, we ask the question, how did I get here? Brandon points out that we get in these places because we look to others for security instead of Jesus. Morning, church. How's everybody? Good? Woohoo! All right. Hey, um, real quick, just want to throw something out to you. We have not been keeping you guys in the dark, completely in the dark, for the last few weeks on purpose. Um, lightning actually hit the main um, control board in the back back there, up in the sound, sound booth and the, the lighting control booth. And so we don't have any house lights. And so if you're wondering, like, I can't read my Bible, it's not because we don't want you to read your Bible. It's because the lights don't work. But hopefully that's going to be taken care of this week or the next. And, um, and so we'll have the lights back up. Just want to give you a heads up on that. The other thing I want to tell you real quick before we jump into this this series again on the vision is that we are putting these backpacks together and we really want you to help us on this. If you can bring a backpack, you can get the list of stuff from guest services. We're going to pack these backpacks full of school supplies so that we can get them to these kids who otherwise won't have them. Um, if, if you can't go around and gather up all the stuff, listen, you can make a donation to this um, and give it to the folks at the uh, guest services table and they'll get it to the right, right hand so that we can go and purchase some school supplies for these kids. But we want to really be able to bless them. So if you can take some time to go out and purchase this stuff, if you want to partner with somebody, maybe you don't have enough money, you can get two, three, four people to go in together and put this together. But we really want to do something awesome for these kids. So um, we'll, we'll be having that take place next week, um, next week the 31st. So just uh, help us out with that. Really excited about what we can do um, down in the Bahamas and uh, hopefully maybe even partnering with a missionary down there to do some really cool work. So you'll probably be hearing more about that in the coming months. Everybody ready to get in the Word? It's good stuff, right? Um, Luke chapter 10 today, if you want to turn in your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. We're going to continue this vision series, and, and we're not just looking at the vision of Connection Church. We're looking at God's vision for the church, His church, the Big C Church, and we want to be able to understand exactly what God's called us to do so that we can do the work He, he has placed before us and to do everything that our hands have found to do. These scriptures that we've been going through are actually scriptures that God gave me um, as we were planning this church and, and scriptures that I knew were foundational for us to stay on track. One thing that I know for sure is that there are people and churches who have run tracks ahead and they've, they've run and, and they've run a good race and they're doing great things. God's called us to run certain tracks and, and the thing that would be very tempting at times to do is to jump on somebody else's tracks because you can run faster, right? They're already late. Uh, you don't have to wait on God, but I also realize that if we run on their tracks, we end up in their destination. And God's called, I think, different churches to do different things to reach different people. And, and we want to be able to be faithful and make sure we're doing the things that God's called us to do. And he gave us a very simple command, and that was to connect unbelievers to God and the believers to each other. Which, watching those baptism videos, every time I, I see those, I get so excited because I realize, like, that's happening, right? That, that people are, are being connected to God and uh, connected to each other um, through small groups and different things. So I want to read Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 20. Um, you can turn there if you're not already there. We're going to read these 20 verses, and we'll talk about these today. Luke chapter 10. Verse 1 says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcome, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcome, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it would be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, K-word. Word, woe to you, Bethsaida. For in the miracle, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, then they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum. Will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you'll go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. 
listen to this, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were out doing exorcisms. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Listen to that. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to share your word. Thank you, God, that we can gather here in freedom to worship you. Thank you, God, that we've been set free from sin and death when we are in Christ. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. We are no longer shackled to sin. We are no longer bound by sin. We are no longer held down by death. Death cannot hold you down and it cannot hold us down. God, thank you. I'm thankful, God, that not even hell can prevail against your church. And so, God, I pray that today, through your spirit, we would rise up and be the church you created us to be. That we would rise up and be the church that is about Jesus Christ, the only name by which anyone is able to be saved. That we would be unapologetic, that we would be bold, that we would be courageous, that we would be shaken at our core, and we would be done with an apathetic lifestyle. God, just come have your way here now through your word. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how many of you like the beach? Anybody like the beach? Y'all like the beach? Yeah. I hate the beach, man. I do not like the beach. I don't. I I mean, I I don't hate it, but I I like to sit on the beach. I just don't like getting in the water. I don't like the water. I mean, one thing, like especially on the East Coast, you can't see your feet. I don't like that. Because you know you're always in the, and something always hits you, and then you, you know, you look like, um, you know, like a Heisman Trophy winner running out of the, the water because you don't know what hits your foot. And, and then there's jellyfish, and then, you know, you're out there and you're catching sharks, and, and, and then you're swimming in the same water. And I'm like, that just does not seem very smart. And so I'm not real, a real big person on the beach, but I love to go. I love to watch my kids play at the beach. I love, you know, they have such an awesome time, and I love to go down there, but I'm not big on the water. And one reason I'm not that big on the water is, is because, you, you really have to fight the whole time you're in the water at the beach, don't you? Like the waves and the tide and everything's pulling. And you know, so you're kind of standing out there and, and you got your son or your, your daughter or whatever and they're on the, the little boogie board thing and you're kind of pushing them in the waves and the waves come by and you kind of push them and then the wave hits you and you kind of do like this and then you kind of had to go back this way and then you kind of, and, and, and it's a constant thing where you're getting knocked this way, you're getting knocked that way, you're getting knocked this way. And pretty soon, have you ever had this happen? You look up and you're like, where's my stuff? Where is my stuff? And you're looking, and, and, and you know, we always put up this tent so that, um, like, really white people like me can get under the tent because you don't want to get burned. I don't tan. I'm either like Casper White or like beet red. And so we have the tent for people like me who have to go and get in the shade every now and then. And, and so we look up, find the tent, and then we have to walk back up to where the tent was. And the thing I realize about that is that life is a lot like the tide. Life is a lot like the ocean in the sense that if we're not careful, if we don't stay focused on, on, on a point that is anchored, that is firm, that is grounded, then pretty soon what happens is we look up and we're somewhere that we had no intention of ever being. That, that we look up and, and all of a sudden we're like, how did we get here? I'm 200 yards from where I started out. How did I get here? And you know what's funny is like nobody ever went from the perfect marriage to adultery all at like bam. They didn't. Nobody did that. You know what started? It started drifting a little bit, a little bit, and a little bit. And that's the pattern of our lives typically. It's just slowly we begin to drift. And, and as we begin to drift from that fixed point, as we begin to drift from that, that place that anchors us, then we begin to get into a place that we never intended to be. I guarantee you, everybody sitting in this room, you've done something that at some point in your life you said, I will never do. And the line kept moving. Whether it was, was, was with, with you and, and your boyfriend, whether it was something with your husband, whether it was something with his secretary, where whoever it was, there was a line that kept moving a little bit until you got to the point where you stood there and you went, how did I get to this point? How did I really get to this place? Where now, I mean, I can't even, this isn't even me. And we've all been in that place. And I believe that happens when as a church or as an individual, we begin to take our eyes off of Christ. I don't know if you've been around long. You should have been around. If you've been living very long, you've been around long enough to understand this, that everything in life changes except God. You know, everything in life is temporary except God. 
And so many times we fix our life in places and in things that are forever changing and forever shifting. And I believe this has happened in the church in in, in such a major way that in so many ways, Jesus is like an afterthought. We're more interested in self-help and in a culture that is so interested in self-help and self-gratification. Jesus is just kind of like the lucky rabbit's foot we pull out of our pocket, we rub it and hope we get what we want. Like he's Santa Claus. And I believe we've got to get back to a point as individuals, as the body of Christ, we've got to get back to a point where we are anchored in Jesus. He's the only thing that's unchanging, the only thing that that, that can anchor our lives, that can keep our lives steady, that can actually keep us focused, heading in the right direction. But here's the thing, most of us spend more time thinking about a sports team, a pair of shoes we want, a, a, a shopping trip, a, a vacation, than we do thinking about Christ. And most of us spend more time doing things to fulfill our desires that are so far from God that we don't even have time for the things that God's called us to do. And I realize just like those, those waves and that ocean begins to push us further and further down from the point that we started out, So many of us today are sitting here in places that we wonder, how did I get to this point in my life? How did I get to this point in my life? But here's the good news, guys. Listen, you serve a God who is a redeemer. You serve a God who is a deliverer. You serve a God who is bigger than the circumstances that you're facing right now. You serve a God that when you're in Christ, he is for you. The Bible says there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You serve a God that says, if you'll just walk by my spirit, I will lead you. I will guide you. I'll be that anchor for you. I will hold your life together. I created everything and I hold it all together. I mean, everything you see, the sky, the stars, the moon, the sun, the planet, the trees, the birds, even my children. Somehow he holds them together. And do you think that the situation, the circumstances that you're in today are so big that God could not possibly be in control? See, I don't think it's a problem of whether or not God is able to be in control. I think it's a problem of where our eyes are fixed. I believe it's a problem of what we're anchored to. I believe it's a problem that we, um, like those waves, we get battered by everything in life. We get pushed by everything in life. And oftentimes when the waves start hitting and the winds of life come and the rain begins to fall, we take our eyes off of our anchor and we put them on ourselves or we put it on others. One of our biggest problems is we look to other people to be that security for us rather than to Jesus. Some of you right now, the reason that your life is going this way and that is because you are finding your anchor in the person sitting next to you instead of your heavenly father, instead of Jesus Christ. And can I tell you that we're all guilty of that at times. And when things start seem to be, they seem to be breaking loose, they seem to be falling apart, it is so easy, it is so quick for us to take our eyes off. But today I want to tell you, I'm going to give you five things and we're going to get out of here, but I'm going to give you five things real quick. The, the, the reasons that we should keep our eyes focused on Christ And my prayer today is that that this would not be burdensome to you, but that you would realize that that in Christ, when we are anchored in Jesus Christ, then then the burden is gone. He said, come to me, all those of you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He said, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus didn't come to throw another burden on you. Jesus came to set you free. And when we're in him, we are free. But until we lose our life in him, we'll never find our life. And so I want to talk to you today. I'm going to give you five reasons that we should be, that we should be anchored in Christ. The first one is very profound. You've probably never heard this before, so you should write it down. I don't know if any theologian has ever written this before. But the first point is, duh. Duh. We should keep our eyes focused on Christ. Duh. Right? I mean, we know that. I mean, it's not like that's something you never heard before. But we are so, we're so easily swayed some, a different way. And what we don't realize is that Jesus is the goal. That Jesus is the prize. I remember one time we went um, deep sea fishing and we were actually 
out in a boat. We went out, um, and it was really cool. It was kind of a cloudy day, so um, it was nice and cool, and, and we're catching um, white trout. I don't know if you ever caught them before. It was fun. Um, we caught like 140 fish. It was nuts. And we're catching fish, and this is no lie. You're going to think I'm lying. We actually started dropping hooks in the water with no bait, and we were catching fish. Anybody like to fish? That's a good day. When you're catching fish without bait, that is awesome. And so we were achieving our goal. We were doing exactly the thing that we came to do. We were catching fish. And then all of a sudden the guide's like, um, why don't we go try to catch something else? Why? We're, we're catching fish without a hook. Why would we leave? Why would we go and try to do something different? I mean, it's just like you drop it down. We weren't even casting it. You just drop it down. The fish gets on. You reel them up. Put them in the cooler. Drop it down. Catch them. I'm like, this is catching. This isn't fishing. It was awesome. Catching fish with no bait. But, you know, we left and we didn't catch another fish. And the thing that's so funny to me is so, how easily drawn away from Christ we are when he is the ultimate goal. When he is the, the prize. When he's the one that we're after. He, he is the best thing. And listen, if we don't see the riches of Christ, it's, it's because we haven't seen him. It is very much apparent. If I brought you up here right now on stage, and, and I'm not going to do this um, because I don't have $100, but if I brought you up here and I said, here's a $100 bill, would you like to have this? What would you say? Yeah. Why? You see the value in it. Because you see clearly that a $100 bill has value. If we don't see the value in Christ, then maybe it's because we've never seen him. Maybe it's because we don't realize who he really is. That he's given us all the things, namely himself, a relationship with God that we can take full advantage of, that we can know God. And somehow we get away from that and we become about everything other than Christ. And we get away from the fact that Jesus is who he says he is. There's a scripture in Matthew. I want to read it to you real quick. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 45. And this is Jesus speaking to the people. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So here's the thing I believe is most of us, we don't see the treasure that is in Jesus Christ. We, we, we lose sight of the forgiveness that Jesus has given us. We get so busy in our day-to-day activities. You know, one of the things I believe about the church today is we're so busy, it's hard to be the church. We get so bogged down in so many things and so many cares and so many concerns. It's just like uh, back up in Matthew 13. If you back up a little bit, it's just like that third soil where the the, the briars and the vines and and, and it says the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of the world begin to choke out the life of God. That to me is the American church. We are so busy doing things that we've forgotten the main thing. And listen to me, guys, if we ever get away from being first and foremost about Jesus, we need to close the doors. And my prayer is that if we ever lose sight of it being about Jesus Christ, that God would close the doors and we would just cease to exist, period. Because it's all about him. Our lives are all about him. See, I, I believe that churches turn to programs and, and let's, just do, let's just do something new and maybe, maybe people will come. Maybe, maybe if we do something because we don't really believe that God is enough. I think husbands begin to look elsewhere from other than their wives because in the end they don't really believe that if, I, if I'll satisfy myself in Christ, I'll have all that I need. There's something else out there. Wives, we they do the same thing. We think that somehow our children are going to save us. And so we pump dollars, thousands and thousands of dollars into trying to make our children the next Albert Pujols. That's stupid. And the whole time we're not investing anything into them spiritually. Let me help you out. Probably when they're 17, 18 years old, their baseball career is officially over. But what you invested in them spiritually is going to continue. What are we really pumping into them? 
What are we really showing them is important? What are we really teaching them? Not by the things we say, but by our actions. Do we really believe that if we can get them to fall in love with Jesus, that that's enough? Do we really believe that? Because I believe this. I believe when you know Christ and you fall in love with him and you meet him, he changes your life in such a way that everything else begins to be taken care of. When you begin to be anchored in him, he is immovable. He doesn't change. Tomorrow, he didn't change. Today, he didn't change. Yesterday, he's been the same. He'll be the same from now on. And and nothing can change him. And nothing can move him when we're anchored in him. But do we really believe that? Do we really believe that Christ is enough? Do we really believe that that if we'll just anchor ourselves, if the church will be about Jesus and only about Jesus, that that's enough? You know, one of the things I hear all the time is, well, you don't, only thing you really do on Sunday is preach the gospel. Why? What do you want me to preach? Well, you, you just give people milk. Do you really want to stand before a holy God and tell him that the story of his son dying on the cross, being buried, and rising the third day isn't good enough? I'm not doing that. It's the gospel that saved our lives. And we're going to preach the gospel because Jesus is the main thing. It's Jesus. Period. And when it becomes about anything else, we're wrong. We are absolutely 100% wrong. The second thing I want to tell you today is that we're not that stable. We are not that stable. We need to focus our eyes on Christ because we're not that stable. Anybody agree with that? It's not stable? Yeah. Todd, the growler, um, agrees with me over there. Yeah, we're not that stable. I mean, for most of us, our life is an emotional roller coaster, is it not? It, and it's dependent upon the kind of day we have as to whether or not we feel good about life. It's dependent upon what other people have said to us, what, what people have done to us, as to how we feel. And yet Jesus comes here and he's telling the disciples, he's like, listen to me, guys. Don't put your joy in ministry. Don't put your joy in the fact that demons obey you. Don't put your joy in the fact that you heal some sick people. Because Peter, let me tell you what's going to happen. There's going to come a day when you're hanging upside down on a cross because of your preaching about me. And I want to know, is that that point in time, is that going to be enough to sustain you? And he's saying, listen to me. If you find your joy, if you find your peace, if you find your love, if you find your happiness in anything other than me, your life is going to be up and down. Can I tell you this? Everybody around you is going to let you down at some point in time. But you know who's not? Jesus. He's not going to let you down. He's right there. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's unchanging. The Bible says that God does not change like shifting shadows. He is the same today. Other people will let you down. Listen, I had to learn this in ministry, and it's a lesson I'm still learning. I'm telling you day by day, because here's the deal. I would preach on Sunday, and somebody would come up, and they'd be like, man, that was awesome. And I'd be like, oh, praise God, I'm I'm such a good preacher. You walk out the back, spike my Bible, bam. And then the next day, somebody comes up and you go, oh, you know, I really didn't agree with what you said. Oh, dang, man, I, I suck as a pastor. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. And then the next day, somebody comes up and goes, you know, that message Sunday really changed my life. Well, praise God, I'm a good pastor. And then somebody comes up and goes, you know what, you don't have enough programs at your church, so we're going to have to go somewhere else. Oh, man, I'm terrible. And and so my life was just like this. And and you know what? To some degree, it still is. And the point of it is, the more I stay anchored in Christ, the more I stay focused on him, the more I realize that my joy is not in your approval or, or, or my own approval of myself. My joy is in his approval. And in Christ, I have 100% approval of him. And he's still working things out in my life, but he's given me his righteousness. And I'm able to live this life that is consistent because I'm looking to Christ. I'm not looking to other people. 
And it's so hard, man. I'm telling you. Just being with people is hard. Why? Because, I mean, one thing, we're all selfish. We all want what we want. And it's like that, in, it's like that everywhere we go. People are thinking of themselves. And people put their own expectations on us and we put our expectations on others that they can never possibly fulfill. And when they don't fulfill them, we get our feelings hurt. We put expectations on our spouses that are unrealistic. We, we put expectations on our children that, that sometimes they're unrealistic. We put expectations on our bosses. We put Listen, and every time we end up disappointed, you know who never disappoints is Jesus. He never changes. He never changes. And we need to realize that we're not that stable. The only way that we can find stability in our life is through him. You know, one thing I realize is that, that, that this is so true because how many people do you know that live for the weekend? Right? You live for the, and we even got that little term like the weekend warrior. It's like Friday, you get off work, you're like, woohoo! And then Sunday at like six o'clock, you're like, dang it. But you know what that means? That means five-sevenths of your life sucks. Like, I mean, just put it bold and simple. Five-sevenths of your life is terrible. Why? Because we're putting it in things that are temporary. We're putting it in things that don't matter. We're putting it in things that, 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 that tomorrow could be gone. And yet Jesus is going, you know what? If, you would, if you'd anchor yourself in me, if you'd actually open my Bible, open my word and read it, if you'd actually pray, if you'd actually... You know, humble yourself before me and become obedient to me rather than, you know, just saying a prayer of salvation and thinking that now I've got, you know, what I need to get to heaven and now I'm just going to live how I want. If you really come to me and trust me, you might find that your life is not so up and down. And that actually Monday through Sunday can be pretty awesome because you've got me and you're anchored in something bigger than yourself. I believe that's what God's calling us to. Listen, number three. Number three is this, we're, we're just not that willing. We're just not that willing. We need to be fixed on Christ because we're just not that willing. Listen to this, I want to read to you real quick Hebrews 1 through 3. Or Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. I'm sorry, we're not going to read three chapters. Y'all would be asleep then. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud, we see in in, in chapter 11, he lists out all the great Bible heroes, like, you know, like Moses and Daniel, all these awesome people. And he goes, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And here's the thing. A lot of times I hear people talk about that, like they're like Moses and Abraham and Daniel. They're all up there, like eating popcorn and drinking Diet Coke, watching us like as witnesses. But I don't believe that's what it's saying. I believe it's saying that they are witnesses to the power of God. That Moses, a stutterer, went and spoke to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh let God's people go. That that the mouths of lions were closed. That the dead were brought back to life. He's going, that is the God you serve. Now lay aside everything else and run the race that's set before you. But the problem is, we're not that willing. And so he goes on down here and he says, consider Jesus. Consider his example that he scorned. He he didn't even think about the shame. He just went to the cross. He was considered cursed for you and me. He was under the curse so that you and I wouldn't have to be. He says, consider this and run. You know, run is it's an action. It's like you can't be sitting on your couch eating potato chips and somebody calls you and they're like, what are you doing? I'm running. You have to get up and run. 
And one of the things that I see in the church so much and so often is I see this whole deal where we are so complacent. And I see in the church this lack of urgency to actually go and begin to reach people who don't know Christ. And there's this lack of urgency to go and tell people the gospel truth. And there's this lack of urgency to share the riches that we've received in Christ. And I see this really apathetic lifestyle. Where, where because we have everything, we don't realize that other people spiritually have nothing. And I believe this with all my heart. I believe it is impossible to be consistently anchored in Christ and to consistently remain apathetic about those who don't know him. And I want to tell you a little bit about what I believe apathy looks like. I'll give you just a, just a couple, two or three things. The first one is this. If you say things like, Brandon will do it, that's apathy. Olivia will do it. John will do it. Kim, Kim will do it. Man, Kim's off. She does everything. Give it to Kim. It's like Mikey. Mikey will eat anything. Just give it to Kim. She'll do it. We got a couple of ladies groups in the church who, who they came to us and they had some great ideas. They wanted to, one of them wanted to do a ministry to, to women uh, on, on a... a uh, just one uh, Friday and a Saturday and they want to bring people in and bring in a speaker and, and they came in and had a great idea about doing that. It's called Hearts Matter. You're going to be hearing more about that coming up. Another group want to do a women's retreat to try to get some women together and just um, um, just get people together and let, let them go and pray and be in the Word together and, and just focusing on, on God together. And you know, they came to us and we were like, this is awesome that God's put this on your heart, but we really want you to run with this. And you know, they, they took it by the horns and they are doing an incredible job with it. It's awesome. Yeah. And, and, and they're taking off with this thing. But see, here's the problem. So many times people come to the church and they go, God really put on my heart to do this. And you know what that really means? Brandon, what I'd like for you to do is this. But see, God didn't give me your calling. God didn't call me to your ministry. God called you to a ministry and he's equipped you and he's prepared good works for you to do and he prepared them long, long ago. And so my challenge to you today is step into the things that God's called you to do. Don't wait on us to do it for you. Don't wait on somebody else to do it for you. Do what God's calling you to do. You have been gifted, you've been anointed, and you've been empowered to do the things that God has called you to do. Some of you have gifts that you're not using, and you need to be using them for the kingdom of God. Some of you have been given incredible gifts, and you think, well, I don't. Can I? Let me tell you this. If you like to have people in your home, you have a gift. Because not many people do. If you like to um, um, feed the hungry, you know what? You've probably heard God. God's probably stirring something in your spirit. You probably ought to check, out, check that out and do it. We somehow think that if we don't have a microphone or we're not on stage or we're not doing this, then we're not gifted. And yet God very clearly tells us in his word that every part of the body is important. And if we ever get to a point where other people aren't doing what they were called to do, then we're incomplete as a body. So some people need to step into, they need to begin to run their race. They need to step into the gifts that they have and have some courage and boldness. I was talking to somebody yesterday, as a matter of fact, and one of the things they said was, you know, I was, I was even uncomfortable taking up the offering. It's like, there was just something about it, just standing there and holding this bucket and wanting money. It's like, it just felt weird, like I was begging or something. He said, but you know what, I, I went and I did it anyway. And, you know, he's like, I do it every week now. It's no big deal. Sometimes we have to push past this place of comfort to begin to step into the things that God's called us to do. And I believe that for many of us sitting in here today, it's time to step up, to quit being apathetic, to quit waiting on somebody else to do what God's already told you you need to do. The second thing that I would tell you, apathy looks like is I believe that apathy looks like this when 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 we get together and we say let's start a program let's start a program because see this is what I believe I believe that church and Christians have gotten to this place where we expect the church to program our lives for us and if we can start a program and we can have enough stuff 
for people to do. Maybe it'll keep our teenagers from going out and doing something that they're not supposed to do. Maybe it'll keep us so busy in church that we won't have time. And because we're so busy in church and not doing other things, then maybe we'll be so busy that it'll alter our behavior. But this is the thing I know about Jesus Christ. I know about God. God did not die to alter our behavior. God is not interested in your behavior as much as he is interested in your heart. And when he has your heart, he'll do whatever he needs to do in you. And as he begins to do something great in you, he'll begin to do something great through you. But it's not going to happen because the church starts another program. It's not going to happen. Listen, the church is not responsible for raising my children. I am. I took Dake on a mission trip this week up to Boone, North Carolina. And man, listen, it was awesome. It was, I, one thing I learned, though, is it is as hot in North Carolina as it is down here. Good Lord. It was like we were up there. It was doing a roof because I have experienced roofing. Now all I do on mission trips is roof. Um, and so we were up there, and, and Dake had a blast. And you know the thing, I had a good time, but you know the biggest blessing I had was watching my son serve Jesus by serving other people. And you realize, you know what I realized? I realized that's not anybody's responsibility but my own. For me to invest in him, that is my responsibility. I need to take that responsibility. I need to be serious about that responsibility. I need to look at what I'm investing in my children. You know what the thing too is, think about this. If you ask your child today, what, what's the most important thing to daddy? What would they say? Moms, if you ask... Your child today, what, what's the most important thing to mommy? What would they tell you? Do they know that Jesus is the most important thing in my life? Or do they think it's work? Do they think it's, do they think it's a, a, a sport, a hobby? What is it? Do they see that in me? What's the most important thing in your life? The third thing that I would say it looks like is that we start sentences with one day I will. That's apathy. We start sentences with one day I will. One, one day. One day I'm going to get in a connect group and I know it'll probably be good for me but one day when things aren't as busy can I help you? It's not going to slow down until you make some choices. One day I'll start serving. And here's the thing and I started you know, I wonder how many people in here, and I would think most of you have probably been here before, but how many of you have in some way been touched by God through the ministry of this church? And when I think about that, you know, when, when, whenever I think about being touched by God or, or God uses something to touch my life, I always feel like, man, you know what? I want to give that same experience for other people. But I'm amazed by how many people can come in and have an experience with God and begin to, to look at their own relationship with Jesus. And just go bump everybody else. If you've been touched by God, don't you want to give them the same opportunity? Maybe that means it's time. Not one day I will serve, but maybe it's time to start serving right now. There's plenty of opportunities. Maybe it's not one day I'll get in a connect group. Maybe it's today. I'm going to sign up and in the fall when we kick off these new groups, I'm going to invest in my spiritual life. What's God calling you to do? What have you been putting off that God's telling you? It is time to do this. Maybe it's just being committed to, to your Bible time. You know, maybe it's just being committed to a prayer life. Maybe it's just being committed to do the things that God's telling you to do that you know he's told you to do. What is God telling you to do that you're saying, one day, one day I will? Fourth thing I want to tell you today the reason we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the reason we need to keep our eyes on Christ is we need to realize that apart from him, we're not that good. We're not that good. And you realize this all throughout history, all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament, all throughout Scripture. When you look at this, it is so true. How many commands did God give Adam and Eve? One. What did they do? They broke it. And it says that they, the tree he told them to not eat from was in the middle of the garden. And there were trees all around. And what did they do? They ate out of the one tree. 
And we need to realize that apart from Christ, we are not that good. When we're not anchored in Jesus, we are not that good. But here's the awesome thing about it. Apart from Christ, we're horrible. But in Christ, the Bible says we are the righteousness of God. That's pretty amazing. That God sees so much value in my life that he sent his son so he could impart his righteousness to me. And that he cleansed my body, he cleansed my heart, he made me pure so that he could come and dwell within me and begin to work his righteousness out of me. Giving me all of his goodness, allowing me to manifest the fruit of the spirit, which is the character of God, which means this, the fruit of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience, all those things we love to talk about. You know what it is? It is the character of God. And when we begin to manifest the fruit of the spirit, it is God himself working himself out of us. Because we're not that good. We aren't that good on our own. But God says, listen to me, when I invade your life and you surrender your life to me, I change everything. I change everything. And our trajectory begins to change. Instead of being on a trajectory towards sin, towards death, we begin to be on a trajectory towards life, towards wholeness, towards holiness. And the thing we need to realize, listen, there's always going to be times when when we trip or we stumble. We take our eyes off Christ and and we slip. We make a bad decision. But you know what? Over time, our our trajectory is towards God. It's towards godliness. It's towards Him. And we realize, you know, I'm not the same person I was a year ago. Because when we meet Christ, we change. We meet Jesus. Things change in our life. We become a different person. We become pure. We, our heart begins to be changed. And we begin to live a different life. Let me ask you this. When, when you met Christ, did anything change? What did Jesus do in your heart that made you, made you different than you were when you first met him? Because I found this to be true. When you know him, you are never the same again. It's not some goosebump that you had back in the sixth grade. It's not raising your hand one time and going, well, now I'm a Christian. It's a heart change. It's God taking your heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. It's God writing his commands on your heart so that out of your life comes obedience. You know, Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He's not telling us we have to obey his commands to earn his love. He's saying, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Is that evidence in our lives that we have met Christ, that we actually know him? Last one, I'll tell you, number five, is is that we're not that smart. We need to stay focused on Christ because we are not that smart. And that's easier for some of us to admit than others. I have no problem with that. I'm like, I know. I am, I am not that smart. And I recognize that and I understand that. And hey, I'm cool with that because I know I, I'm not that smart. And God knows we're not that smart. And, and we, you know, the, one of the things that God compares us to is, is sheep in the scripture. You ever notice that? You know why he calls us sheep? Sheep are stupid. They are. My dad had three sheep. Hated them. I hated them. Because they, they were stupid. They'd have the same grass on this side of the fence as on this side of the fence, and they would get their head stuck in the fence trying to eat the grass on the other side. I'm like, that's us. That is us. We got all this right here, but we would get stuck sticking our head through the fence on the other side. And, and I'm like, that, that's the church. That is us. God's given us everything. We think we need something else. Well, my dad finally decided he would get rid of the sheep. So he said, can you come out and help catch these sheep and put them in a pen? He had hurt his leg. He couldn't do it. I was like, I guess. I've never caught sheep. And there was one that was a big ram, and it was mean. It was mean as it could be like, you could go out there, it would try to kill you. It was me. Joe knows. Joe went out there to do some work, and the sheep, I mean, he is, he's mean. And so you go out there, and so I, I was like, I need some backup on this. So I called one of the biggest people I know, Billy Shiver. It's like, Billy, I need some help. We've got to catch some sheep. 
And so we go out to the house and we're trying to catch these sheep and, and, and they're, they're just, they're just, they're dumb. And, and they're running around and they're running into fences and they're doing all this stuff. And I'm like, I've observed sheep enough to know that they're just not that smart. And so finally we, we had the awesome opportunity of just like Brian Erlackering. That's a new word, Erlackering. When you just grab it and you just, bam. Taking down the sheep. It was actually fun. After we were done, we wanted like four or five more that we could catch because it was actually a really cool experience. But, but, but I'm telling you, these sheep are just not very smart. And you know, I look at us so many times and I'm like, you know, the truth of the matter is, we're just like those sheep. Man, we do stupid things. We make stupid decisions. And you know, in the, the Old Testament, they didn't, and, and, and in the New Testament, they didn't have fences for the sheep. So the sheep had to have a shepherd. And the shepherd's job was to guide and lead the sheep. And if a sheep wandered off, the shepherd would go and he would get that lost sheep and he would bring them back. And the thing I'm telling you today is we're not that smart. We need a shepherd. We need a shepherd to guide and lead our lives. And when we listen to the voice of the shepherd, if you, if you hear the voice of God, he says that his people will hear his voice, that they will recognize him. And we begin to follow him as his sheep. We need a shepherd. We make stupid decisions. Many people in here today are living under the weight of a stupid decision. My advice to you is put your eyes on the shepherd and let him begin to guide you. My advice to you is to begin to trust in the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, to guide you and to lead you. Let me help you. You're not that smart. You're not going to figure out life. You can keep trying in your own effort. You can keep going in your own effort. You can keep thinking. You can lay awake at night in bed and and, and think about how am I going to figure this out? How am I going to do it? We're not that smart. And there comes a point in our life when we have to surrender to the shepherd who can lead and guide. And it is not something we do because we're having a bad day. We just raise our hand and hope that somehow the magic genie will make everything okay. It's when we come to Christ and we surrender everything that we have, all that we are, and we say, God, today, good, bad, or worse, I am yours. God, today, use me as you will. I am Today, I'm surrendering you as, to you as the shepherd of my life. And I want you to guide me. I want you to lead me. Today, I'm yours. And I'm 100 convinced if the church will do this, if we'll begin to do it in and of ourselves, and the church of Jesus Christ will begin to surrender to him, we'll see him do incredible things. We'll see him do the things that we set out as a church to do to connect unbelievers to God and believers to each other. We'll see the the, the glory of God manifested in Statesboro, not just through Connection Church, but through every church that surrenders itself to the shepherd. We'll see lost sheep come home. And we'll be able to celebrate with the God of the universe like crazy. Here's the thing I know is that a lot of us today have put our eyes, we put our trust, we, we, we have fixed ourselves upon something else other than Christ. Some of us have never made him that anchor in our life. Some of us, man, we just all of a sudden looked up and maybe today it just hits you like, holy cow, I, I, I started out down there and now I'm here. And you may be on the brink of doing something really stupid. It's time to come back to that focus point. It's time to come back to him give you this opportunity today. I'm going to ask you all if you'll stand up, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you this. this is, I usually don't do this, but I'm going to ask you right now today, everybody, just close your eyes, bow your heads. We don't normally do this, but, but I, just, I just want to throw this out there to you today that you know that in your life, Jesus has never been the anchor for you. You've never really surrendered your life to him. You, maybe you've been in church, you've done Sunday school, you've done VBS, you, you did something as a child, but you really don't know him. 
and you want to know him and you know that a holy God is knocking on the door of your heart today and you want to meet him today. You want to know him and you want to surrender your life to him. Making him the anchor of your life. I'm going to ask you today if you want to make that decision not playing around, not goofing off but you want to make that decision today I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand in there right now, right where you are we just want to say no about your decision stick your hand, don't act like you're scratching your ear or something stick your hand up high, right now okay, amen anybody else, raise your hand stick it up high, amen praise God, amen, thank you who else, get your hand up God's beating on your heart right now, amen I see you, God bless you amen brother, listen right now, listen, if you raise your hand, this is what I'm going to ask you to do right now Everybody's eyes closed, head bowed. I'm going to ask you to do this. When you walk out of this auditorium, if you're with somebody, they'll wait. I promise. If you came to church with somebody, that they will wait. If they won't, we'll give you a ride. But over here, to my left, your right, there's a door. I want you to walk out that door, and we've got people that will pray with you. If you raise your hand, take, just take one more step of faith today and be willing to walk out of this auditorium. I know I saw four or five hands. Guys, right now, we want to pray with you. This is not the end. This is the beginning of a new journey. So if you're standing there right now, make a decision. I'm walking out right now. I'm going to go, and I'm going to be prayed for. If you raise your hand, go ahead and walk out of here right now. We just want to pray with you. Will you do that, please? Amen. Hey, let's give them a hand. Let's give them a hand. Praise God. ourselves in a situation that if he doesn't show up, we're in trouble. I can tell you he's faithful. You'll never outgive him. You'll never outlive him. You'll never be able to outrun him. So take that step of faith. Trust in him. Let's let's pray. I want to pray for you, then you'll get out of here.